tell him about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? I've been drinking green tea all goddamn day! All of our team. Hello and welcome back once again to Gag Reel, the unasked for, unnecessary podcast where we talk about comedy movies and comedy television shows and break down the jokes to the point where they're not funny anymore. But uh, we're, we're here for you and, and we're here for us and we're here to just chill out and have a discussion. I am your host, Ryan, and I'm joined as always by the co-host, Will. Hello, people. And literally no one else in this episode. Not a soul. How are you doing, Will? I'm doing fantastic. Is, is that good or bad? I like flan. You like flan, okay. Some people, they don't really mess with it. Yeah. Uh, they, they, I think the word custard, they, they find it... That's like my favorite know, word. Unappealing. That's my favorite word. Uh, yeah, we're, despite the, all the flan talk, we, we're here today to not talk about desserts, but to talk about a movie that is brightfully colored uh, and is, you know, it its art de- decoration could be mistaken as a dessert. That That's the best transition you're going to get. Yeah, it's great. Legally Blonde, 2001 cosmopolitan comedy that has inspired, you know, a sequel that went to theaters, a sequel that went straight to DVD, a musical, and a reality show about the musical. There's so much Legally Blonde stuff, it's ridiculous. An upcoming sequel, too. What do you? Yeah, they're making a third yeah, one, right? Yeah, Min, uh, Mindy Kaling is uh, writing it. That's awesome. Yeah. I hope they get Luke back. And yeah, uh, I, I'm excited to chat about this movie. I feel like it's it's just one of those that's kind of too big to not talk about. You know, I feel like our, our, our manifesto with this podcast, our mission statement, is to is to uh, annoy you to all hell by breaking down every comedy uh that that's worth any salt mm-hmm. every comedy film movie man on the street uh funny poster <laughs> anything out there that makes you chuckle we're gonna be there we're gonna be there right next to it look to the skies can we do a, the gag can reel we do an episode on a poster we could try i i still I, I don't think i've ever seen a poster that just made me laugh out loud but uh write in to gagrepod at gmail.com if you have a poster that will make me laugh out loud and hell yeah, we'll do a whole 40-minute episode about it. That'd be great. I don't have any sort of preamble about Legally Blonde. Uh, Will, do you have any sort of introduction? A little bit. I could uh, introduce us to where it all came together. Amanda Brown had graduated from Arizona State University when she decided she needed to go to law school because it would be the best way to help abused women and children. After applying to several, she was accepted into Stanford Law School and upon walking onto campus, she immediately realized it was a huge mistake. The rooms were hideous. The students were gross. They were either Ivy League or and stuck up or, dun, 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 Trekkies. She did not fit in at all with her designer wardrobe and pink legal pads. She tried to make friends by attending a Women of Stanford Law shindig, but ended up making enemies when she laughed at a woman leading the group who said that uh, she had spent three years at Stanford trying to change the name Semester to Ovester. It didn't bother her, though, even when she remembers, quote, one day in the bathroom hearing two girls talking to each other and saying, I cannot believe I spent four years at a prestigious undergraduate institution to be cast in the same intellectual cement with that talking Barbie. 
a fish out of water, and completely uninterested in the classes, she spent most of her time writing letters documenting her experiences in law school to her friend Serena. She describes it as an anthropological study of the law school species, all written on pink paper with a pink furry pen. At one point, it was suggested she take those letters and turn them into a book of essays about her law school experience, but then a literary agent advised it should be adapted into a novel. She took a community college writing class, slapped together a manuscript, and unsuccessfully shopped the book around for a while. Then she had the brilliant idea that she resubmit the manuscript on pink paper to get the attention of prospective agents and publishers, and all of a sudden, Hollywood came a-calling and sparked a bidding war over the rights to the manuscript. A manuscript that would eventually be adapted by Mark Platt, uh, who helped her both turn it into a fully-fledged novel, as well as adapted into a screenplay, a screenplay that would go on to become the film that we have are talking about today, Legally Blonde. If I'm going to be a senator, I need someone serious. I'm seriously in love with you. I love you. Liar! This is the type of girl that Warner wants to marry. A law student. Going to Harvard is the only way I'm going to get the love of my life back. For my admissions essay, Action. I'm going to tell all of you why I'm going to make an amazing lawyer. I feel comfortable using legal jargon in everyday life. I object. Her list of extracurricular activities is impressive. She was in a Ricky Martin video. Aren't we always looking for diversity? Welcome to Harvard. I'm, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this viewing of uh, of this comedy. Well, what, what you got? I forget. I'm assuming you had seen this before, but we never talked about it before recording this right now. So, had you seen this? How long had it been? What's it had the story? been since it came out. I saw it when we, when 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 the family rented it from Hastings or Blockbuster or whatever local video store, whichever one we did not currently owe a lot of money to. Yeah, it might have even been Kroger Video, um, <laughs> and uh, rented it and uh, w- watched it, and I, I had not seen it since. Wow, uh, I I did not remember much of it, and um, yeah, I, uh, I I it was seeing it again. Uh, it, well, like actually, it felt like I did remember much of it. It was weird. It was kind of watching it again. I was just like, I don't remember any of this, but I remember all of this. Yeah, I, I had seen this again a few years ago. I think my partner likes this one, so she was in the mood for it. Um, so we gave it a watch, and it, it's a really fun movie. And yeah. it's silly in in the right, the kind of the perfect way for what it's doing. It um, it's reassuring hearing that this is based. On somewhat of a real experience, cause and it might just be the age, but for for some reason I was kind of scratching my head at some of the fish out of water stuff. I was just like, wait, could could it really be like this dramatically different for someone who is you know kind of a valley girl going to Ivy League? Uh, is it really this devoid of color? But it, it either way, I. I in this kind of movie, I think you just kind of have to buy in to the world that it's creating. It's easy to have a fun time when you kind of do that. Uh, I, I yep. think there's a lot of silly, fun moments in it. This time around was very impressed with her call it, with her admission video uh, that she did <laughs> in, in lieu of an admission essay. Some of the camera angles there 
I don't think she would have been able to get on her own. They, they were super impressive. Like, if she directed that, then, like, props to her. And I bet she did. Like, from everything that I, I learned about uh, L.A. L. Woods throughout the viewing of this movie, I think she had it in her to direct an amazing video. I thought they mentioned that she hired a Coppola. Essay, I'm going to tell all of you at Harvard why I'm going to make an amazing lawyer. As president of my sorority, I'm skilled at commanding the attention of a room and discussing very important issues. It has come to my attention that the maintenance staff is switching our toilet paper from Charmin to generic. All those opposed to chafing, please say aye. She hired one of the Coppolas to direct her admissions essay it makes sense she's got the money to do it you know which coppola who knows but (laughs) one of the good ones someone who knew what they were doing they 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 understood her you know uh but yeah i guess i missed that joke that's hilarious yeah um but yeah it it was a fun viewing it was it it is a laughable court case and how it resolves oh yeah but like i said this is the kind of movie you just buy into it yeah legal legal realism this one is not (laughs) <laughs> I also really enjoyed uh, some of the side characters this time through, despite them not having much to do. Uh, I think Selma Blair was really great mm-hmm. for what she for what she had. I, I think she she's very good at kind of illustrating the cartoonish turn that her character has and making it be more believable. Yeah, and like all, all the just kind of asshole dudes that do a good job of being ass asshole dudes. <laughs> Uh, and obviously, and, and Luke Wilson, I think I saw in one of the reviews, it, it said, uh, he was, he was kind of just, uh, oh gosh, darning, like, you know, like kind of all shucksing through the movie that that's kind of all he got was, uh, uh, this was the writer Kimberly Jones from her 2001 review in the Austin Chronicle said Luke Wilson looking more and more like deputy dog is wasted as another second banana boy toy gig. His awe shucksing could rival even an early Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart. But I think that that awe shucksing was great. I think he does great in this role. Yeah. Which I, I don't think they were saying he did bad at all. I think he's just saying they wished he was more fleshed out just like most of these characters. Oh yeah. Yeah. Over, overall for what it is, for what it's trying to do, I think it's very successful. Although the, these characters are all pretty 2D, I, I do think it was a fun, uh, a very fun kind of um, portrayed by women for women kind of comedy, like we've talked about with uh, Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion episode. Go go listen to that one if you haven't. Uh, th- these were just rare, you know, uh, especially around this time. This was only a few years after that. And while that like was way more rare of being like an R-rated kind of raunchier comedy, I-, I think even this, even though like Clueless had been a few years before this and many reviewers compared this to Clueless and saying that it kind of, you know, does a lot of the same things without as much social commentary. Hmm. I-, I think it's still a fun thing and a fun treat that I, I think a lot of... Uh, a lot of people grabbed on to and they like i said before there has been many sequels to this and it has become a huge intellectual property and i i think that that's because it's so fun and because reed witherspoon does such a great job of kind of nailing this character and making her super enjoyable to be around and mm-hmm. you just you you want to root for her in every moment and she's a hundred percent she's just like this ball of positivity she's able to give a character that on paper probably 
could be, if played badly, could be potentially like a character no one would want to root for. Yeah. Like the, yeah, just the perfect bubble. So it's just like, yeah, I'll, yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's just so positive. Yeah, which often that kind of positivity can become, yeah, just a wet blanket kind of thing. Um, or just, I mean, like just the fact that she came from so much privilege that. Oh, yeah. You could immediately just like zone out, like, oh, I'm, I'm not like nobody. But then just the fact that she's able to pull it off, like with so much energy and enthusiasm and never says a bad thing about anybody that it's mm-hmm. just like, OK, yeah, I can dig it. Yeah, I think in Roger Ebert's review, he says that uh, all the other characters percolate, but uh, Witherspoon's L bubbles. And I, I think that's probably the best way you could say that. Mm hmm. I don't, did you want to talk about it more, Will, before we kind of go into the background? I agree with you uh, in a lot of ways. I felt, uh, for the most part, it was a it was a fun, enjoyable movie that you have fun watching. It may be a little slim on the like hilarity moments. Yeah, no, I agree with that. But it's, at the same time, it's 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 just a fun, enjoyable romp that, um, even though it may it may you know ha- clueless may have preceded it. In a lot of ways, it uh, subverts a lot of tropes that rom-coms were going for at the time. And in some ways, it's... Uh, I'll go more into it when it, when we get to how has it aged. But in, a lo- in, in some ways, it's definitely as relevant now. In other ways, it isn't. But And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a good, enjoyable romp. It's definitely not a laugh-out-loud comedy. They're not throwing a million jokes at you. Uh, every every scene and not many of the jokes that they are throwing at you are super laughable but they're all cute and mm-hmm. will kind of you know it, it's one of those movies that kind of is there more to put a smile on your face than to uh, have you uh, rolling on the floor laughing as we would say on the internet Roughly. 15 years ago yes yeah, good old uh, so Will uh, what did you learn about the making of this feature other than the book it was based on as you preluded as I like, like I was saying, yeah, Mark Platt uh, was a producer who got a hold of the rights and uh, helped her turn manuscript into a full novel, and then also brought in a couple screenwriters, Karen McCullough Lutz and Kirsten Smith, to develop the novel into a screenplay. Uh, Smith and McCullough Lutz uh, loved the manuscript, thinking it was uh, one of the best movie ideas ever. Clueless meets the paper chase, but their initial draft was extremely different significantly raunchier and a lot closer to American Pie with nonstop zingers and less female empowerment. There was no murder trial, and it ended with Elle Woods hooking up with her professor. That sounds like a Van Wilder kind of thing, but with yeah. female lead. Yeah. Huh. So uh, they ended up going for a much softer comedy for the next draft, and while they were working on that, uh, casting had begun. Uh, Reese Witherspoon was everyone's first choice for Elle, and she was the first person to be handed a copy of the screenplay, but MGM was not convinced on Reese, though, having associated her with the stuck-up shrew based on her performance in Election, as well as some um, some like softer dramas that she did in the uh, like 1999-2000 era. And uh, so she ended up having to do like several rounds of auditions. And uh, in the meantime, they they pitched the project to Christina Applegate, who turned it down. And other actresses considered were Charlize Theron, Gwyneth Paltrow, Alicia Silverstone, Katherine Heigl, uh, Mila Jovovich, and Jennifer Love Hewitt. But eventually, Witherspoon won over the executives while, by uh, playing up 
uh, a lot of the uh, sorority girls she remembered back from when she was in college, even though that was like four years prior and she had dropped out. As for Vivian, um, Chloe Savini was originally in talks to play her before Selma Blair was eventually casted. And uh, Paul Bettany was brought up as a potential to play Emmett, but they decided they wanted an American actor. And uh, while casting Emmett, they were describing his character as a Luke Wilson type character. And at some point, while struggling to find the right actor for the role, they wondered, you know, huh, maybe we should get Luke Wilson to play the <laughs> Luke Wilson character. Then, So they, they eventually they got the cast together. The cast and crew went out and did some research. Reese Witherspoon, Jessica Caulfield, and the costume designer, Sophia Durakoff, went to USC to visit one of their sororities. Reese uh, took the entire sorority out to a Mexican restaurant and offered them free margaritas all night while her and Caulfield just drank water and watched as they took notes. Uh, meanwhile, Sophie Durakoff got an idea of her, how, uh, you know, how they all dressed for the costumes. And um, while they were all off at USC, the screenwriters Smith and McCullough Lutz went to Stanford during orientation and uh, took some law classes and met some of the students. A lot of, some of the scenes were derived from their time visiting the school. Uh, they said they basically fell asleep during the classes they uh, they had to sit through, but they uh, they came up with ideas like uh, they had to sit in a circle on the grass and introduce themselves, and so they wrote that part down, and that became a scene in the script. And um, uh, some of the class scenes were kind of derived from just like the the way classes were introduced at Stanford. And uh, as for Stanford, that got. Uh, changed to Harvard after Stanford turned them down. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they uh they didn't want just, people filming on their campus. Just the name because to my knowledge this was filmed in California. Um I thought they actually filmed in Harvard. Oh, okay. Um hold on. Yeah, although uh oh never mind, yeah, you're right. It was not filmed in Harvard. I just had to pull that up. <laughs> yeah, campus scenes were filmed at USC, University of California, Los Angeles, California Institute of Technology, and Rose City High School in Pasadena, California. So they just went from campus to campus. Yeah, yeah. One of the critics, um exact same critic I talked about earlier. I, I read a few reviews. I I did not only read this one, but for some reason it keeps coming up. But they uh, specifically were kind of dogging on it for not nailing the look of Boston. Although, you know, that I, I feel like it does a good job of contrasting, you know, the costume design of Elle and her friends with the design of the campus. And that's all I, the movie was really saying. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I think that was a silly uh, qualm to have with the film. Yeah. Uh, maybe a little bit. Uh, I mean, I could see like a Harvard alum watching it and saying, I wish this was more about Harvard, but <laughs> for everybody else, it's fine. That's not the point of the movie. I'm sure they have more complaints over the, you know, like saying like, hey, I didn't get to su submit a video to get into Harvard. Yeah, that's true. Um, just got to try. You just got to pay, pay the Coppola. Pay the Coppola. And then also pay the Harvard admissions team to actually watch a video rather than read an essay. But yeah, uh, they, they then uh, filming became underway they, they they had the updated draft um and uh with a budget of 18 million they were able to turn around a box office of 141.8 million it uh made a crap ton of money yeah every everybody uh and it was a big deal it's a big movie 
That, that's the kind, like, you know, that's all, all the dudes in their cigar smoking room congratulate each other and say, gentlemen, we got a hit. That kind of that kind of thing. Bailiff, take the witness into custody where she will be charged for the murder of Hayworth Wyndham. In the matter of the state versus Brooke Wyndham, this case is dismissed. Mrs. Wyndham, you're free to go. <laughs> Hey there, listeners. This is Ryan calling in from the future in the editing booth. And th- this particular episode has kind of become a mess in the uh, production and editing process. This was originally supposed to be a, a three-host episode. Me, Will, And our sister, Rebecca, who joined in for the Ernest Scared Stupid episode last year around Halloween time. But scheduling conflicts made it so that I recorded separately with each of them. And it was going to be kind of a bit. It was going to be wacky. But problems with, with Becca's audio equipment made us record twice and now in the editing booth further problems with the the audio equipment and just the way we recorded uh her chunk of it it it's just it it doesn't sync up and yeah there's just technical difficulties that kind of have me in a weird spot right now of obviously not wanting to just throw that away Especially since this is such a, you know, uh, a a women's movie. Um, So I don't really know what to do here. I think I'm going, for the time being, to slap on the end of what me and Will recorded. Our our opinions on the how has it aged. But I think we we might need to, uh, in the near future, do a part two of Legally Blonde 2 with the three of us or to just re-record with the three of us because I'm really frustrated that we lost a lot of good conversation there of me and Becca talking about the bend and snap uh the her of me and Becca talking about the movie just kind of from her perspective and uh something else that Becca and I talked about that Will and I don't in the How Has It Age section was the poor depiction or maybe just more specifically the very narrow depiction of uh, the homosexual male character at the end of the movie and how they make a very kind of reductive, stereotypical depiction of this homosexual male for the sake of plot and uh and how dated that looks but yeah without further ado here's the end of will and i talking about legally blonde and yeah i'm sorry it had to be like this for this episode um but it will be amended in the future and feel free to write your angry letters to gagrealpod at gmail.com or go to the web groups. Good job. 
So, I think it's finally time to answer the age-old question. How has it aged? Becca, what, what do you think about this one? That's an interesting question. God damn, what the... Will? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what are you talking about? What, what do you think about how it's aged? Um, it's, it's interesting because in a lot of ways it's aged very well. And then a lot of ways it has not, there's a, um, there's an article on a blog, uh, a, a, uh, an article by, uh, the rogue feminist who really broke it down in a way that I could, I couldn't, uh, articulate in the Mm. same way. But, um, in one sense, Elle is an incredible role model because she never doubts herself or cares what other uh, people think of her, continuing to be herself even when you know the world around her openly disdains her. And um, so that's a big, it's aged well. Uh, you know, like most characters with like the amount of bubble that Elle has, as well as just like her personality, you know, interested in fashion and um, things of that nature. You know, most characters like this in films, especially around that time period, were treated as either cruel, superficial, or stupid. The character of Elle isn't any of these things and doesn't have to go through a personality makeover to end up succeeding. Yeah. She does have that little thing in the middle of the movie where it's like, oh, now I'm not going to wear as much color. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 still, she goes right back yeah. to the... Fancy dressing and stuff. And the movie is very aware that this is the stereotype, the idea. It's very in your face about every other character in the movie saying that's what Elle should be. And that yeah. that's what they expect of her. Like, literally, she's called dumb. I don't know. Definitely more than once in the film. Yeah. The whole arc of her and the, you know, boyfriend is he thinks that she's dumb. Yeah, and um, speaking of the yeah the the boyfriend arc, uh, some of the debate on the internet about the feminist aspects of the film did put her character's arc in a negative light, revolving around how she only went to Harvard in the first place to yeah, win back her boyfriend, yeah. and the film taking too long to get over that hump. One article by the the Rogue Feminist Analysis, you know, sees actually sees that in a positive sense. I I don't um, where L ends up growing into a stronger feminist by Mm -hmm. the second half of the movie and by shedding off her previously patriarchal mindset, she transforms into a much stronger character. And so rather than viewing it from a, oh, she should like this movie shouldn't have been about her going to Harvard to hunt down a man in the first place. Mm -hmm. Instead, this was like a seeing it from like a, uh, a maturity standpoint, like she's actually growing as a stronger person by the end of the movie by realizing and overcoming that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is kind of her transformation. And, and it's mm-hmm. cool, you know, just from my outside perspective here, being a, you know, a, a dude. Uh, yeah. It's kind of neat how, you know, she comes to this realization from all these strong female characters around her. Like yeah. the uh, the uh, profess- like the professor who, you know, they, they depict her as like kind of the balls of steel kind of thing um but it ends up you know giving her that moment of like you know do this for you the hell with law school i just wanted to say goodbye if you're going to let one stupid prick ruin your life you're not the girl i thought you were
uh, and just all the other various various characters like like the Selma Blairs, etc. Like the, the the cliche lesbian woman who is uh, there with her as well. Yeah, speaking of which, female friendship is depicted very positively in this film. Um, you know, uh, Elle's supporting of Paulette to confront her abusive ex, as well as the incredibly rare occurrence in Hollywood chick flicks where Elle and Vivian are the two women fighting over a man, collectively ditch him and become friends. Yeah, um, this might be one of the first examples of this I can think of. I think this has become its own trope, and I'm sure yeah. it was in stuff before this, but I feel like this might be one of the biggest movies that this ever you know, happened in at that time. Yeah. But, um, yeah, another trope that um, the film subverts is at the end. You know, the epilogue opens with a shot of stained glass, initially leaning into the expected scene of 99% of rom-coms, you know, a wedding. But instead, we see Elle getting her law degree. Yeah. And w- while the film does acknowledge, you know, Emmett's going to propose to her, you know, it's only it's only a subtitle. Mm-hmm. It's like icing on the cake that is her degree. But um, there were a few less positive aspects on, you know, like several places. But um, a minor one is, you know, like the female character, the other female characters that are not Elle don't get much development. Mm-hmm. You know, like Vivian kind of stops being the quote unquote frigid bitch. But uh, that's that's really it. And yeah, there's very little of that transformation on screen. Yeah, that's true. Um, and like, that's like uh, you know one of the better examples because there's yeah. also like her ditzy friends that are kind of just there as a joke. They kind of uh, yeah emphasize the trope that the of the dumb blonde that the movie's kind of trying to step away from. Yeah. Um, but they're just supportive friends, so I guess props to that. There's also like the undercutting of the very feminist message that the film is trying to introduce by uh, also including a completely unnecessary straw man feminist with the, you know, like Enid, the I will not stop mentioning I'm lesbian character doing the whole semester. I I think the semester I know that Amanda Brown, that was one of her reasons that she started diarying about eventually writing the book Legally Blonde. Uh When, when there was a person at Harvard, or, uh, it was Stanford, you know, at Stanford who wanted to change the name Semester to Ovester. But I don't think it fit within the context of the movie that it became. Yeah, I mean, it, it does seem like she's there to kind of point out things to the audience uh, and lay them out a little clearer and, and like maybe kind of add, add this divide. But yeah, I don't think, I don't know. Yeah, it's a little cartoonish. Yeah. It reminds it, me it, a lot of like the the two bit character from Portlandia of, of the bookstore owners. Yeah. I thought it was just a, yeah, something that it was just felt unnecessary. And then on, uh, in another side of the, the tracks, this is a, an incredibly whitewashed movie. Yeah. Yeah. And like incredibly, you, you talked about affluence earlier, you know, uh, this is like, you know, it's almost hard for me to really care about these problems that any of the people in this movie have when, uh, yeah, they, you know, they have their, their families to back them up for for anything, pretty much. Uh, yes. Like, Elle is able to kind of, you know, afford this crazy expensive school just, you know, because she decides to. And the only Not just that. She can hire people to move all of her things yeah. into the school for her. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a cute, fun movie. But, you know, I, I find Elle a little hard to identify with personally yeah. or just this whole Ivy League world. Uh, but that's just me and my experience since we're still hanging around this territory of 
good ways, bad ways that it's aged. Uh, I, I think the character of, of Brooke was another kind of positive female friend that we didn't talk on and was interesting, but also has the weird uh, moment of the liposuction kind of thing. And um, yeah. just the way they depict that as, as being such a negative thing and, and so kind of shamed for doesn't age well and is uh interesting nowadays yeah and then um yeah yeah it was, it was weird and then um i guess one big prop i'd give the movie is definitely how it handles assault mm-hmm. and how she was like it's unrealistic in the sense in in the way it went down and but like it's very respectful in the way that, you know, like Luke Wilson's character immediately believes her. Yeah. And, and then just goes on to say, that's awful. And what can we do about it? And, and and then, and then on top of that, when, when Vivian finds out she was wrong, she was like, Oh my God, I made a terrible, she, I made a terrible mistake. And, and it's just like, uh, it was really respectful in the way that um, the second something like that came up, all of the the righteous characters around her didn't try and like him and how oh well that's just the professor being weird yeah no you know very... like, nobody had an excuse for him and some movies do that even if you're still supposed to be rooting for these other characters they'll still like try and like beat around the bush or something or defend mm-hmm. another character like they did a really good job with that yeah yeah unfortunately at the time it's almost as unrealistic as the court case that surrounds all of that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, very nice for like this movie and what it's trying to say yeah. and, and like the fantasy world that this movie portrays. It, it is super nice and super positive that way. Yeah. Um. So I, I guess do Will, Becca, whoever the hell's here with me, do 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 you have anything to add, uh, you know, what, before or around the time of me wrapping this up? This is an aside. Okay. A very aside. But... um. Was it an interesting little mini bit of trivia? Jennifer Coolidge uh, wanted to become an actress because she wanted to become the next Meryl Streep, and then ended up getting into improv and comedy, and kind of went down a whole comedic route. And she did great in this and all the comedy things. But in the uh, the recent uh, Mike White series, um, White Lotus. She gives a really powerful performance, and it's like, holy crap! I could, I, I, I see her acting chops now, and I'd, I'd recommend everybody go check that out. Nice, yeah, uh, yeah. The gag reel ha- uh, approves, I guess. I haven't seen it yet, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll put my stamp on that. Why the hell not? I like Mike White. But yeah, I think that's it for this week. Come back in two weeks, where we will be talking about the Eric Andre comedy, bad, the bad trip or bad trip. I think it's just bad trip. Bad trip. Bad trip. I haven't seen it, but Will keeps telling me to see it. So I'm going to watch it, and you're going to watch it, and we'll, we'll sit and have a chat. Go watch it. Come join us. Have a good time. Eat some noodles. Gagadoodle Dandy. real. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, go to gagrealpod.com. Write to us at gagrealpod at gmail.com. Also, just look up at gagrealpod on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, and follow us. And have a damn good two weeks. It's over now Say goodbye I hope
you were saying you had some ideas. What, what should we record extra? Like you going, uh huh, uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Will. Yeah. Is, is, are you really talking? What? What? Hello? So- Hello? You sound like you're in a loop. What the heck's Hello? going on? Uh huh. Yeah. Will. Uh huh. I'm going to kick you off yeah. the podcast. I disagree with this movie. Yeah, huh? This is like when Homer Simpson put the little like yeah. kind of drippy bird on the keyboard. I think that's exactly. What, I disagree what's going... with you with what you're saying. Yeah, I'm, yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah. I'm cutting you off. Will. I think it's a perfectly fine movie. Come back next week. Yeah, uh-huh. get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs>